Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. All right, as you're finding your seat, if you would also find 1 John chapter 5 in your Bible. First John chapter 5. I did uh, want to inform all of you who don't already know that thanks to this church stepping out in faith, tomorrow is going to be my first official day as a full-time minister for New Life Baptist Church. So... Praise the Lord for his work in this church, and praise the Lord for your faith in taking this step with us, and we know that the Lord will, will do great things among us. 1 John chapter 5, the title of our sermon today is Cause and Effects. Before we dive in, I want to go ahead and state the obvious, uh, First, First John John is uh, repeating himself a lot, isn't he? We're, we're kind of revisiting the same topic over and over and over. And while we could be tempted to um, tune out because, well, I've already heard this before. It's about love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I already know that. Um, John is doing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to f- continue to flesh out really, really important um, things that we need to know and to understand as Christians and as believers. Um, so we find, even though some of the, the themes are the same, that we're always learning something new, thanks to um, the Holy Spirit's inspiration of this text. Now, there are three kind of main things that uh, John is putting before his uh, readers as a test for the assurance of our salvation. Remember, our series title is Tested Assurance. We want to arrive at blessed assurance, but before our assurance can be blessed assurance, it must be tested assurance so that we can be sure that we are sure. There's three kind of main things that John is laying before his people are love for God, love for people, and obedience. If we could just narrow it down to three main things, that's essentially what John has been talking about um, in a very eloquent way throughout this letter. Love for God, love for people, and obedience to the Lord. These are the main tests of our faith. So today we're going to see those three themes in this section of verses And we're going to see uh, what he's showing us about it and how it pertains to the new birth. So if you would stand with me as we read the word of God. We stand when we read just out of reverence for God's word here at New Life Baptist Church. We believe God's word, the Bible, 
to be inerrant, infallible, inspired, authoritative, and sufficient for life and godliness. Here is the word of the Lord. Everyone who believes, verses 1 through 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this gathering together of people who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, who have been regenerated and are on mission for you. I pray that as we read this text, Lord, that those of us who are truly in the faith would walk away with assurance. Those of us who are not in the faith would be drawn into the faith by the working of the Holy Spirit. I pray that your word would go forth in power and find fertile soil in the grounds of our hearts to bear much fruit for your glory. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. You can be seated. Another thing to go along with the understanding that, yes, John is repeating himself, but we need to always remember that Holy Scripture is inspired by God in such a way that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Now, how many of you in here would wager that God has a tendency to be really finicky with his language? How many of you would wager to say or maybe emphatically state that God sometimes doesn't mean what he's saying? Anyone? How many of you would believe that God uses words errantly or just frivolously? Anyone? No one. Good. Scripture tells us that not one jot or one tittle will pass away before the kingdom. Not one thing will pass away. That means not one jot. It would be the same as saying not one crossing of the T or dotting of the I will pass away before all is accomplished. So that means that every word that we find in the scriptures is there by design. It is strategic. God does not just speak for the sake of speaking. He's not a loud mouth, if you will. When God speaks, he has something to say. And in the same way, whenever we read the scriptures, it was written down not because he just was bored one day, this wasn't just, you know, um, early church text messaging where we just want to send a text to somebody. Hey, how's it going? It's good, I guess. I mean, what else do you have to say? It's not that. That's not what's going on here. Every single word here is with a purpose and for a purpose. I say that to say because we need to look at the arrangement of how things are worded here, namely in verse 1. Look at it with me. 
everyone who believes, that is currently active right now in the present, everyone who currently believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Has been, I don't have to tell you, that is in the past tense. Something that happened in the past. It happened before and it caused something to happen. What was it? That you believe that Jesus is the Christ. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. We're going to stop right there and just look at that one section. I titled this sermon, Cause and Effects, plural, because in our text we find one cause, and we're going to look at multiple effects from that cause. What's our cause here? Is born of God. Everyone who has been born of God, something happens. Something happens to the people who have been born of God. The new birth, regeneration, these are all meaning the same things. New birth, regeneration, born again, we're talking about the same thing. It is dynamic. It is explosive. It is absolutely life-altering. In our text, we see that when we have been born of God, which is the cause, certain things take place in our life, which are the effects. These are not optional. These are not from time to time these things happen. These are not, well, results may vary. You see those uh, paid programming commercials where they speak of these wonderful, glorious results from their product, and at the very bottom, in tiny, tiny letters, results are not typical. Yeah, you can spend $465,000 on Herbalife, and you will lose, you'll look at, you'll have a big house, and you'll be perfectly fit like all these people in our commercial. And at the bottom, these results are not typical. You'll spend $465,000, absolutely, but you're not guaranteed, right? Some of us have learned the hard way, present company included. Anyway, so, but this is not the same thing. People who have been born again, the results, at least in a general sense, are the same. Now, granted, we might grow at different time frames and in different uh, bursts of energy. We might see quicker growth at some times. Some people have slow sanctification. Uh, you know, all of these things, that's true. But at least in the general sense, we will all have the same experience in that certain things will happen in our life that we will see in our text. So we understand that the new birth is a sort of a chemical reaction. There is a chain of events that take place. They are sort of like ripples in a pond. Whenever you throw a pebble in the pond, there, is, there are ripples that are caused from that pebble being thrown in there, correct? But something happened. What was it? It was that the, the pebble was thrown in there. And then things began to happen in your life. So we're going to see here our cause. So I want you to keep in your mind, everyone who has been born of God, this is our cause, and it's going to be the first part of every effect. Everyone who has been born of God, verse 1 again, part A, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ 
has been born of God. This is the perfect tense, what we call the perfect tense, has been born. It's actually one word. And it's very important that we understand the, the, this little phrase because it's going to uh, allow us to understand the rest of this text. But the perfect tense, what this means is that something happened in the past that has implications now in the present. So for example, I have a full tank of gas because I put gas in my vehicle. You understand, I put gas in my vehicle at one time, therefore, now I currently have a full tank of gas. I know this is a very deep theological thing right here, understanding about gas in our car, but I want you to understand this, this perfect tense. I put gas in my car, therefore now I have gas in my vehicle. How many of you have ever experienced the opposite that I did not put gas in my vehicle, therefore I do not have gas in my vehicle. Anyone? Anyone like to ride around town on E and just see how long the Jesus will take the wheel? A couple of us, yes? So you understand, this is the perfect tense of a verb. Something happened at one time that has effects right now. That's how has been born in your Bible is written. Is, has been born. Something happened at one time. I want to show you a couple of other uses of this word. And if you don't mind, we're going to move through these quickly. So if you don't catch all the cross-references, well, thank God we have a podcast and YouTube. You can go back and re-catch uh, up with it later. First John chapter 2, verse 29. He said, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. You see the cause is that you have been born of him. What is the effect? It's that you practice righteousness. We wouldn't dare think to say that everyone who practices righteousness will be born of God, would we? Because that turns into what? Works-based salvation. Everyone who practices righteousness will be born of God. No, it's everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. We are saved by grace alone. 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Why? Because he has been born of God. You understand, we wouldn't dare think of saying that you, you first stop sinning, and then you'll be born again, right? We wouldn't say that, because that's, again, a works-based salvation. So you see something happened that has, a, there was a cause, and there are now effects. One more example, 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, right? So we wouldn't dare think of saying yet again, first you have to love God and then you will be born again. We wouldn't say that, now would we? So we believe that God is a consistent God, don't we? We believe that his words are used intentionally and on purpose with purpose. So when we run into this word again in verse 1, 
We understand that the cause is that at one time we were born again, therefore you believe that Jesus is the Christ. You were born again. This is the pond go, or the pebble going into the pond. And the first ripple out from that pond, uh, pebble going into the pond is that you believe the gospel. This is the first effect of the new birth. Everyone who has been born of God believes the gospel. Look at it again. We're hammering this point home. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Look down at verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The first effect of having been born of God is that you can now believe in the gospel. Not only can you, but you do believe the gospel. Look at it again. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. We see it doesn't say everyone has the opportunity to believe that Jesus is the Christ because they've been born of God. This is an emphatic statement that everyone who's born again will believe that Jesus is the Christ. Everyone who has had the life-altering, all-transforming power of the Spirit in their heart now believes that Jesus is the Christ. Why? Because your eyes are opened. You're brought out of darkness. Your heart of stone is removed. You are given ears to hear, eyes to see. And what's the first thing that you see at the powerful working of this regeneration is that Jesus is the Christ. It's that Jesus is the Son of God. That is to say that when you are born again, then you are able to finally believe the gospel. How many of you in here who are now believers, born again believers, how many of you heard the gospel multiple times before you were actually saved? Anyone? Many, many people. My hand, but all my feet are up. Absolutely I did. Why? Why did you hear it and reject it? Why? Because you were not born again. You had not been born of God. Not until the day, if you were in our Sunday school class, we talked about the adoption day. Not until the day of adoption did you then see Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus did die for my sin. He is the only hope in life and death. Jesus, 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 you believed because you were given eyes and ears to hear and to see. James 2.19, you believe that God is one, you do well, congratulations. But even the demons believe and they shudder. Why are we talking about this? Because we think, we have a misunderstanding or we need to at least truly understand and grasp belief. See, anybody can understand a list of facts, right? Anybody can understand a list of truths in a series of common sense propositions. Anyone can do that. I say that to say, when we read here that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, there are people who will acknowledge 
that Jesus was a real person. I mean, you have to. He was, he's a historical figure. He is a historical person. He walked this earth. And there are people who will acknowledge that. Yeah, Jesus, absolutely. There are people who will even say the Christ. But the New Age has this idea of the cosmic Christ. That in other words, Jesus, and this is part of what they were believing at this time, is that Jesus was a man, but he took on the nature of this cosmic, uh, a supernatural power called the Christ, and that's what enabled him to live a perfect life. And then right at the moment of crucifixion, the Christ left him, and it was Jesus who was on the cross. Well, that doesn't make any sense now, does it? No, Jesus is the Christ. He didn't just operate as the Christ. He is the Christ. But see, there are people who will believe this set of historical facts, but they're not saved. They have not been born again. As we see, they are really just believing the same thing that demons believe. James 2.19. You believe that God is one. Congratulations. That's awesome. But the demons believe that, and they shudder. So we see that there is a, a level of belief that is different. It is not the same as just understanding something in your brain. You just grasp it in your brain. If it stays there, my friend, you have not been born of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, now what does this mean? What, are we, what is he saying here? To believe that, that Jesus is the Christ if we look at the word Jesus, this points us to the humanity of Jesus. Jesus is the name of the historical person who walked on this earth that wore you know, sandals and wore clothes and ate food. This is Jesus. It points us to his humanity. The Christ is what he was here to do. The Christ is the Messiah. It is the Greek Christos. It means anointed one, Messiah. What was he anointed to do? He was here to take the sins of his people away. He was here on mission for a purpose. He wasn't here just to check in and say, hey, how are things are doing? I'm taking inventory of the world. He was here to take the sins of his people away. So he was the Christ. He is the Christ. And then down at verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This teaches us of his divinity, that Jesus is God-man. He is God in the flesh. Jesus, as he walked this planet, was God incarnate, truly man, truly God. So when we believe that Jesus is the Christ, what we're saying is the person of Jesus who walked this earth is the only one who can take my sins away because he's the son of God. You following with me? That's what we're believing to. This is what we're believing to, not just in our brains. We first grasp it in our mind, and then by the power of the Spirit, it moves to our heart, where we are transformed by this incredible news. Jesus is the Christ. This is exactly what Peter believed now, isn't it? First, uh, Matthew 16, 15, 16, and 17. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
You see what happened there? He was looking at the person of Jesus and said, this person who is Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one who's going to take the sins of his people away. The son of the living God. What does this mean? Is that he's divine. That he is God. To be the son of God is to be divine of like nature with God. That you are God. God in the flesh. Verse 17 says, Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and bone, or I'm sorry, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. Do you see that? Nobody gave him this news, this information. The Father revealed it to Peter. And Peter now makes the good confession that all Christians make, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that there is salvation in no other name, that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Peter was the first one to make this good confession. The difference between believing just in our brains and in a transformative way was really well illustrated by Stephen Lawson last week at the conference we were at. So I'm going to use his illustration. I'm giving him credit in case he's watching this. I know he tunes in from time to time. That was a joke. Um, so he's talking about the, being at the airport. And you can be in the terminal. You can go to the gate. You've checked in on Southwest Airlines 24 hours before. You have your boarding pass. Your bags are packed. You're ready to go. You're in the terminal. You're at the gate. And they start boarding the plane. The belief that the demons have, that a lot of people have, that does not save, looks at the plane and says, that's a plane. It will take me from Houston Hobby Airport to Dallas Love Field in approximately 50 minutes. These are true facts. I am in boarding group B5. Thank you. As soon as they call B1 through 10, I can board this plane. I have one carry-on. I'm within the TSA regulations. I can go to a seat. I can put my bag under my seat. And 50 minutes later, I will be in Dallas Love Field. But if I don't get on the plane, what good does all of that information in my brain equal? Exactly zero, right? Hey, where are you? Why haven't you come? Why aren't you here? Well, I'm here at the airport. I believe that the, air, the plane can take me there. Why hasn't it? But what belief, that the saving kind of belief that we are empowered to have by the new birth is the kind of belief that walks onto that plane. In the same way, when we're believing in Jesus, we are all the way believing in Jesus, trusting in him entirely. Where this plane will take me to Dallas Love Field, my faith in Jesus Christ is going to wipe my sins away. That is my destination by my faith in Christ. But if I don't take those steps, I'm just in the terminal. I'm in the gate. And I'm wondering what happened. And what John is telling us is those people who are in the gate have not been born of God. Number two, everyone who has been born of God loves other believers. If you were in our Sunday school class, we talked about this, didn't we? We talked about 
our brothers and sisters in the faith. Look at it, verse 1, after the comma. And everyone who loves the Father loves who has, whoever has been born of him. Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but God is watching. How many of you can think of a person that gets on your nerves? You don't have to raise your hand, but I mean, if you want to. You can think of someone right now who, oh my goodness, they just get under my last nerve, they get under my skin, they make my skin crawl, whatever it is, right? We can all think of that person. Look at your Bible again, verse 1. Everyone, how many people? Everyone who loves the Father loves how many people? Whoever has been born of him. Not some people, not your favorite person at church, not that person that you get along with really well because you have mutual interests. What is the word here? Whoever has been born of him. Why? Because I understand you are my brother, you are my sister in the Lord. But not just that. It's because God has given me this love for you. You see, I don't conjure this up on my own. This is an effect of the new birth. Those who have been born of God love other born-again believers. We love them. Why? Because we're all part of the same family and none of us deserves to be here. Every last one of us owes a debt of our whole life to the Lord. So we're all on the same playing field now, aren't we? We're all part of the same family. We're all sitting at the table, undeservedly so. Thanks be to the work of Almighty God. Hopefully you've seen in our time in 1 John that this is a very prevalent theme. He mentions love 28 times in his short little epistle. 28 times John is talking to us about love. Do you think that this is an important thing for us to wrap our minds around? Absolutely. It's definitely a very important thing. Back in chapter 2, verse 10, he said we abide in the light if we love our brothers. In chapter 3, verse 10, we are of the devil if we don't love our brothers. There's the, the stark contrast. If you don't love, you're not of God. Why? Because God is love. If you love, you are of God. In chapter 3, verse 14, love is the evidence that we have passed out of darkness into light. If there's no evidence of love in our life, what does that mean? That we have not passed out of darkness into light. That we are still in darkness. In chapter 4, verse 7, if we love, it is evidence that we have been born of God. Again, in chapter 4, 8, if we don't love, we don't know God. Chapter 4, verse 21, whoever loves God must love his brother. And now whoever loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. In other words, if you love God, you also love his children. You love his kids. If you've been born again by the Spirit of God, you love other people who have been born again by the Spirit of God. You don't have to force it. Do you have to kill your flesh? Do you have to 
rid yourself of selfishness and pride? Absolutely. Does this mean that you're going to love people perfectly? Of course not. But it does mean that you'll be much quicker to show grace to people. Why? Because the Lord lavished grace on you. And we are the most undeserving of all. So we show that same grace and love to other people. What does this love look like? Let's look at verse 2. This is so interesting. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Do you see that? That's kind of a twist there, isn't it? If I obey God, that means that I love other people. That's very strange at first hearing. Back in John's Gospel in chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, he says, you know this, a new commandment I give to you. What's this new commandment? That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, Jesus says, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's notice, number one, this is a command to love. So to not be loving not only indicates that we have not been born of God, but it also shows us that we are being disobedient because we've been commanded to love. So to not do so is to disobey the words that came from Jesus Christ's mouth himself. Ouch. Steps on my toes. I don't know about you. He gave us the command to love one another. But not just love them. Love them the way that Jesus loves them. Well, that's an impossibly high mark, isn't it? Does that mean that I need to go die for their sins? Of course not. Jesus already did that. But it does mean to follow the example of sacrificial love and patience and grace and mercy and care and concern. And get this, speaking the truth to that person. We are the family of God. So we must hold each other accountable to what our Father, our common Father, has commanded of all of us. This doesn't mean get in each other's face and say, hey, you're being disobedient, you child of wrath. Of course not. But it does mean to hold one another accountable as loving brothers and sisters before the Lord. John 15, when Jesus is speaking of bearing fruit, he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In verse 17, he says, these things I command you, so that you will love one another. Finally, Paul breaks this down for us beautifully. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. This is why Jesus said that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God, and a second is like it. Love your neighbor. What did he say? If you do these things, you will fulfill all of the law and the prophets. 
So when we're being obedient to God, God has drawn these boundary lines around each one of our lives so that when we are obedient to those boundary lines, we don't bump up against each other because we're staying in the boundary that God has given me. God tells me not to be selfish, not to be prideful, but to be loving and to be humble. If I'm loving and humble towards you, are you ever going to find the room for offense? Am I ever going to knowingly hurt you if I'm acting in that regard? Of course not. But we all understand that we don't always act that way, don't we? Sometimes we get out of those boundary lines, and that's when we bump up against each other. So what do we do? Just pour gasoline on the fight, on the fire, and, and fight and fight and fight? Of course not. We get back into our boundaries. We get back into what God has commanded of each of us, namely, forgive. Forgive and move forward. Number three, everyone born of God loves God. John says it right here in verse 1b, that everyone who loves the Father. And then in verse 2, the second half of verse 2, when we love God and obey his commandments. And then verse 3 focuses the most on it. That this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. This third effect of being born again is such a basic element of the Christian life, but it is so important. Do you love the Lord your God? Do you think great thoughts about the Lord your God? Do you desire a deeper relationship with your Savior? Do you want to know God more? Do you love it when other people talk about good things about your God? Does this fill your mind? Does this fill your heart? Do you love God? Does your spirit cry out along with the psalmist, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? If so... Take heart, because that is an indication that the Spirit resides within you. My friends, you can't do that. Scripture tells us that you are dead in your sins. You can't conjure up a love for the Lord from within your own mind and heart. It is placed there within you by God's Spirit. You'll remember John 14, 15. If you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Where does this come from? God, when we love God, we obey God. Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is regeneration. This is what being born again does, is that God takes your heart of stone, gives you a heart of flesh that now loves him. That love is worked out in obedience. That brings us 
to our fourth point. Everyone who has been born of God joyfully obeys God. Look at verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. We know that the first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is what? Anybody think of it? Love? It's the first thing that the Spirit bears forth in your heart is love. Scripture shows us that that love plays itself out in obedience, but not just any kind of obedience, joyful obedience. If it is a burden for you to obey God, if it's a burden to you to love your neighbor, if it is a burden for you to study the scriptures, if it is a burden for you to worship God, my friend, you really need to ask, have I been born of God? Why? Because his commands are not burdensome. They are for people who are living in the world. But for the child of God, they are a joy. Listen to Philippians 2.13. It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Don't you see the Spirit of God works within you? This new birth causes you to obey God. But it doesn't just give you the strength to obey it, but the desire to obey God. It's Philippians 2.13. He gives you the desire, I want to please my God. If the extent of your Christian life is going to church and going to a study from time to time and listening to Christian music, but there's no desire in your heart to please God, I ask you again, have you been born of God? Because all of us who have been born of God joyfully obey him. Are we perfect once again? A resounding no. But you know what? Even when we sin, we can still circle back and obey. How? By confessing and repenting of our sin. We can still please God by coming back to him, by repenting of those things and coming back to our Lord and confessing our great need for him. So John's not saying that God's commandments are just a breeze and you're going to take a nice stroll through the Christian life. Every one of you in here can attest to the fact that being a Christian is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy to stand for the truth in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It's not easy. But what he's saying is that it's not a burden for you to obey him. It's a joy. It's a great pleasure of the Christian Romans 7.22 shows us this heart. I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. Lastly, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Verse 4 literally says that. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is immediately after John talking about God's commandments not being burdensome. God's commands aren't being burdensome. Verse 4, For everyone who has been born of God, that word for, K, 
can mean since or because. Because everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This doesn't mean you overcome your haters. Overcoming the world means this system of sinfulness in the world. You overcome this system of sinfulness by your faith in Jesus being the Son of God. Do you see how John wraps this up beautifully and circles back to verse 1? You come to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You believe in the gospel, and this makes you an overcomer. But I want you to look very carefully at verse 4 again. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. It does not say you might. It doesn't say you're empowered to. It doesn't say there's a possibility or that it's very likely that you will. It says that if you've been born of God, you will overcome the world. It will happen. It is a guarantee for every child of God. Do you know why this is an encouragement? Because our country is headed nowhere really, really fast. We are looking down the pike of possibly seeing some very real persecution for Christians. And guess what? If you have faith in God, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you have been born of God, if you have experienced this life-giving regeneration, my friend, even if you die, you will overcome the world. You can't lose. We will win in the end. Praise God. Thanks be to God. Let's stand. 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. On the last day in Revelation 12:11, they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. I want to ask you before we sing this hymn, has this new birth happened to you? Have you trusted in Christ? Have you believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you believed upon Jesus as the Son of God? Have you repented of your sins? Have you been given this glorious gift of love for other believers, of love for God, of a desire to obey Him? If not, today, right where you are, put your faith in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. We're going to sing a hymn and then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you for your word. We thank you for your powerful working in the new birth. Uh, Lord, I pray that for those of us who have experienced this glorious regeneration, Lord, that we would just grow in humility and mercy and grace, that we would grow in our love towards you for other people and grow in our joy and obedience towards you and to have the confidence for overcoming the world. Lord, for those who are listening to this, who have not experienced this new birth, Lord, we ask that you would draw them to yourself and give them eyes to see and ears to hear that you are worthy of all. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.